So we are going to be continuing. We're on week five of our 40-day campaign that we've been calling Community. And we are going to be talking about generosity. Say that word with me today. Generosity today. And guys, I am, I, I'm just so excited and, and, and so proud of you guys. As I've shared every week, we are literally laying down eternal foundations of community and unity in our church. I want you guys give yourselves another hand. As we've been doing small groups and, and coming to church on Sunday and, and getting this message drilled within us, I got to visit another awesome small group this week. I visited Miss Tanya's small group, and it was just so awesome and powerful just meeting people outside of Sunday church, doing life together. And so 40 days of community is happening, and I want to just challenge you guys one more time. Let's not stop on day 41, right? That's, and join me in prayer as I've been saying, I really feel like we can make an impact in our community of Holly Pond. We can be known as the church that is unified. We can be known as the church that has a deep level of community. And I really, I really am proud of, of, of our church. Those things are happening, and I'm excited. Amen? Let's just make this our, our confession of faith. Say this with me. God, we are a unified, community-driven church in Jesus' name. Amen? If you receive it, say amen. I mean, I believe that we are really, like I said, establishing eternal foundations that are going to stand. Amen? So I'm excited. We, we are going to talk about that word, generosity, today. We've been talking about all sorts, all sorts of things each and every week, right? We're going to wrap this 40 days of uh, this campaign up next week on week six. So we've been talking about serving together. We've been talking about growing together. We've been talking about building healthy relationships and how important that is. And so today we're going to talk about generosity. Let's look at that first point together. We're going to do kind of a deep word dive. And so as we're talking about community, it really ties into generosity more than you may think. So look what that point says. It says the Greek word for community is kion onya. Y'all try and say that with me. Kion? Ionia. That's the Greek word for community, okay? But look what it means when you study that Greek word out. It means a few things. It means fellowship, participation, contribution, and what? Generosity. That, that magical word that we're going to talk about today, if you want to highlight that word, feel free. Generosity is a selfless act of love freely given to benefit others. So if we study that word out, community is all of those things. It means fellowship. Is there a community? A community doesn't exist without fellowship. What is fellowship? It is relationship with others. There's a dynamic that must occur within a community of people that says, we're in relationship together, whether we want to or not. Some people, I enjoy being around. Some people, I may not necessarily enjoy being around so much. Specifically speaking about God's community and God's spiritual family and his church, 
We have to be unified in the love of God, which means we accept others. We are in fellowship. Community needs fellowship. Community means participation. It means that the people that share that same community, the family of God, we participate in the things of God together. Contribution. How can we contribute? What can I bring to God's table? You can bring tons. I'm trying to get your, the gears in your head spinning just a little bit. Somebody shout, something, what's something you could bring to God's table? Feel free. Come on. Gifts, thank you. That was the first thing I was thinking. Your spiritual gifts. Love, thank you so much. I hope you're bringing love to God's table. Your expression of love. You have God's love because God freely gave that to you, right? And God's community, he wants us. And guys, you got to see how blessed and how abundant, if you know Jesus, your life is. I, I want you to think of your contribution as more, somebody say more, put that in the chat today, more than your dollar. Let me say, the church needs your dollar because the church has bills. The church wants to bless our community. But your contribution is more than your dollar. You need to continue to bring in the tithe. But there's more that we can bring. We can bring our gifts, our talents. You can bring your life experiences. We all have things that we can bring to the community of God's family. It's a contribution. This is what this Greek word means. It means fellowship, participation, contribution. And the last thing it means is generosity. And the last part of that statement says generosity is a selfless act of love. To what? Benefit others. See, when I move, when I let the Holy Spirit move me in my faith, it becomes not about me, it becomes about others. When you move in fellowship and contribution within the community of God's people, it becomes about others. And you cannot live, move, and operate in the gift of generosity if you are thinking about me, 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 me. I hope you see how blessed you are. And you are blessed because God wants to use you to bless someone else. Someone that may, that may not necessarily know how blessed they are. Somebody that is down and out. Somebody that is strung out. Somebody that, that, that may need financial help. And God is, is calling us to the plate. To be a part of community that, that, that's living and thriving, it's something we must not stand back and observe. The great generous miracles that others are doing, it's something God wants us to partake in together. When my brother's hurt, he wants the community of the spiritual community of that brother or sister to partake of being generous, all chipping in, helping that person. Tina and Dick, our children's pastors. Just a little update. Dick, praise God, is coming out of this. He's been through a lot. I shared with some of you, maybe you weren't here, he had a, a, brain, a brain bleed 
They didn't know what was going on. It's taken about two and a half weeks. But praise God, he's in his, his rehab facility. He's got his, his memory about 99.9% back. But he is still within a journey. And I want to say thank you if you have partaken of praying for them. Some of you have give for them. Some of you have, have made cards and, and sent them to us to send to them. Thank you for partaking in God's love, fellowship, community, contribution, and generosity. A strong community has strong generosity. If we want to be that church that's known for our community and our unity, then we need strong generosity. Maybe our breakthrough miracle to being known as that church, that church that loves, that accepts, that that helps people in Holly Pond. When somebody visits a church and they're asking, hey, I need help to pay my light bill, and they say, oh, we can't help you, but I do know that church down the way, Liberty Church, if you go down there, they'll help you. For us to be known as that church, we have to move in generosity. What if? That's our breakthrough. For us to get more, I mean, get more blessings, more, more signs, more miracles, more wonders, more folks in the pews, a greater level of powerful worship on Sunday. It's always powerful here, but another level of growth for us. What if the answer to that problem, the answer to that equation is generosity? We freely give, guys, because Jesus freely gave. Open your Bibles. Turn to Acts chapter 2, verse 41 and 43. We find this is the, the day of Pentecost has just happened. The church is in its infancy. And look at God's family. Literally, this is the, 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 the first few minutes, hours, days of the bride of Christ, figuring out this new promise of who Jesus Christ is, coming to the revelation that he is, the, 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 the King of kings, the, the Lord of lords, that he is the Messiah who came and died for their sins. Look how the first believers, the first Christians in the world, look how they respond, guys. Verse 41, those who believed what Peter said, the, the, the message that I just shared is what Peter was sharing with them, that Jesus is. What happened? They were baptized, and they added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to the what? Fellowship. They saw that they need to be in relationship with their brothers, with their sisters, in fellowship and with the sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and in prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. They immediately accepted the Lord, and they immediately began to accept and love each other and share their belongings and their lives, and where they even lived, it says, We'll read here in a little bit further the things that they began to share with each other because I truly believe they understood that they were now part of something 
bigger, something real. They were part of a family. And you know what? Who has kids? Who has a mom? Who has a dad? I hope that's all of us. I know some of them maybe have passed and gone on into heaven. When you have a family, you without even thinking about it, what do you do for your family? You care for them. You love them. You share everything. Put that in the chat today. Everything with them. Your house, your food, your everything with them. 3,000 people come to believe in Jesus. And in a moment, they begin to see a stranger as their brother. Like a real brother in their family. And they begin having and doing life together in a real, powerful way. Guys, church is not intended for you to get up on Sunday morning, get dressed up, come to church, act like everything's perfect, sit on your best, well-behaved manners and, and, and amen the preacher, and then just go home and then don't open your Bible up again until the next Sunday. God really intends church to be like a family. Like a family. And it takes a while when you're, maybe if you're looking for a new church, or maybe you've been hurt in church, church people hurt you the worst. And so maybe you got your guard up. But I truly believe if you're here, especially if you're here today, or you're watching us online, God wants you to know that this may be the family of God that he has for you. And I want you to know that we have a place for you here. We love you and we accept you. And we want to do life together. Not in a weird way. I'm not going to just randomly call you and check up on you. But, but, but I want to be there to help you grow. And I do want to be accountable to you. Right? That you're not comp- compromising truth. And if you're going to you're going to give your life to Jesus, and let's, let's do this thing. Let's make it real. Let's, let's raise the standard of his word in my life, right? That's what a healthy spiritual family is and what it should look like. And, and these folks were doing that generosity. They were living in a generous spirit, and generosity is an expression of love. If you've ever experienced generosity from someone else. It was an expression of God's love. Look at that next point. Y'all bookmark Acts 2, 41 through 43. We're going to bounce back there in a second. Look what it says. So we're going to kind of study generosity out today. Look at, uh, we're going to look at a few things it does for us, specifically the church. Look, it says generosity enables us to care for and meet one another's needs. I believe I've already said this, but generosity is that it's others' focused. Generosity doesn't just see the need, it meets it. It's not enough just to see the person struggling from afar, and if the Holy Spirit does quench my spirit or your spirit and gives you a personal revelation or message to say, hey, I want to use you to get with them, to to help encourage, to be generous, 
to, to, to help pray for, to help, to help build up and lift up. If the Holy Spirit does minister that to us, you and I become accountable to that personal word. And so just seeing the need is not enough. That doesn't make us good people. That doesn't make us good Christians. All Billy Bob looks really rough. He's been struggling with this addiction for a while now. You've actually maybe even met him a couple times at church, and you know this little storm's going on in his life, and, and you even feel sorry for him. And you know what? You've even said a 10-second a, a prayer for him when you thought of him that day. But you see him struggling, and that, 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 that's where we stop most of the time. That does not make us good people or good Christians just because I can identify that someone's hurting what makes us people of God, guys, is when I say, thank you, Holy Spirit, you can use me as you see me fit. I want to give in a joyful, cheerful spirit. I want to take Billy Bob out to lunch. You ain't got to take him to, 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 what's the fancy steak place, Connors. You can take him to Mickey D's. You can take him to Jack's. And while you're spending time with him, guess what you get to do? You get to sit and listen to his heart and to his life, and God probably wants to do something a whole lot bigger than you just spending a few dollars in a generous spirit to give him lunch. He wants to use you to spiritually help this hurting, broken person. Generosity enables us to actually care for people and not just see the need, but meet the need. We'll throw up all sorts of excuses. God, I'm so busy. God, I don't have enough. God, I'm struggling to pay my own bills. God, I, I, I'm struggling here. I, I'm struggling. God, I wish you'd send somebody into my life to help me to hear what's going on in my life. Generosity is others-focused. And we're going to see today we have, we, we get what we have because of what we have given or the lack thereof. We reap what we sow. And I'm excited to, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, to see in Scripture the things that, that you need. It may all hinge on the generous type of way you live or not live your life. And if we can live in a generous, cheerful spirit, the things that we do need to happen in our lives can maybe happen if we sow into somebody else's life. Stay there and act like I said. I want to give you the next two verses. Picking up there, verse 43, look at 44 and 45. It says, And then all the believers met together in one place, in one place, and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in what? It was what? In need. Now, I'm not saying after today, go home, sell your house, sell your car, sell all your belongings, all your possessions, and give away all your money. That is not wisdom, and that is really not faith. But I do want to say, if the Holy Spirit tells you, to give that car that you've already bought and paid for, to bless so-and-so because you see maybe they need a car? Could you? If God 
said. Not Pastor Ian, not Liberty Church, not Pastor Keith. But if the Holy Spirit said, I want you to give, could you? Is the possession more valuable than Jesus? Or is Jesus more valuable than the thing? Because this is the type of generosity I'm talking about. Can you, if the Holy Spirit said, hey, you've been coming for a while, you've been faithful in your attendance, your finances. See, Jesus Christ, he wants to move into your, your area of relationships, right? Can anybody believe that? He wants you to have good, healthy relationships. He wants to move into the area of your mind. He wants you to have the mind of Christ. He wants to move into the area of your workplace. He wants you to be a good employee. Did you know Jesus Christ wants to move into your bank account also? So when the Holy Spirit says, hey, I want you to start faithfully tithing every single Sunday to Liberty Church. Could you? Could you? Can you? Are you? Because that's another level of generosity that I, I by faith give because I by faith receive. And I'm blessed because Jesus gave. So the tithe, pff, Jesus, you only asked for 10%? You know the whole thing's his? <laughs> Guys, that's how awesome our God. We, we bicker and argue with the Holy Spirit. 10%. If I bring home $600 every week, the first 60, Jesus says, is His. All of it's His. And He requires you by faith to bring 60. And I'll say this. He don't need it all. It's all His. But He can do more with that 10%, with that $60 than you can with the whole thing. You want to hold on to the whole 600 and you wonder why you're struggling. Maybe. Could be. Are you bringing his tithe into his storehouse? Because as soon as you begin to give by faith, guess what happens? The curse over your finances is broken because of what Jesus did on the cross. Amen? Generosity does not see comparison or lack. It sees compassion and need. Another, another way we argue with God about helping others or sitting on what I got, right, being selfish, is I compare my life to others, which is not what the Holy Spirit wants us to do. I'm trying to, I'm in the secret competition with with the Joneses, right, across the street. And I'm trying to get mine. I'm trying to get that house and that, that car and that camper and the guns and the whatever it is. As we just read in Acts 2, 44-45, they didn't see their lives as their lives. They saw their lives as being shared with others. It says, and they shared their money with those in need. Generosity doesn't see comparison with their neighbor, with their brother. It sees the compassion and the need. And if we can move into that, guys, God will use us. Amen? Look at that next point. Look at another thing it does. When we move into a generous spirit. I kind of just talked about this a little bit. 
the tie that breaks the stronghold, it breaks the curse. That restrictive thing, that restrictive stronghold happens because we have a restrictive mindset. We think God can't bless my finances, that only I or my employer can bless my bank account. No, Jesus Christ is the reason you have, right? Generosity breaks that stronghold of greed, and that's what it boils down to. Am I living in a generous spirit or a greedy spirit? And that greedy spirit comes from the love of money. I put that in parentheses. It empowers us to be free. Somebody say free. Come on, Jesus, give us some freedom. Help us think the way you think, God, in Jesus' name, and fruitful in the kingdom of God. As I just said, generosity does not see lack or comparison. Well, those are excuses. I'm trying to get mine, God, and God, actually, I don't have enough. I'm trying to save every little penny that I have so that I can get mine. Generosity breaks that stronghold. God wants us not to, 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 to be greedy and hold on to what we have, right? Because that's what greed does. It, it, it wants us to hold on to with a death grip. It's self-sustaining. It's, it's, it is a death grip. I'm holding on to my life and everything, and I, I'm nervous to invite God in to that area of my life. And when you do, it empowers you to be free and fruitful in the kingdom of God. We don't want to be greedy. That's the easy answer. You all know that. We want to be generous. So greed wants us to hold on to what we have. That makes it about us. Generosity wants us to multiply what's been given. That's about others. If you can see that everything you have is because God gave it to you, even in your, even in your mess and in your sin, the Bible says each and every good gift comes from above. You had grace in your And now that you're born again and saved, we talked about raising the bar, the standard in our lives to Jesus. He wants you to see, recognize, and authoritize, I guess that's the word I want to say, grant the authority to him that, you know what, I have a blessed life because of Jesus. And I want you to multiply the blessings that I have to meet the needs of others. That simple. Don't have to overthink it. Don't have to ask questions. Don't have to fuss. Don't have to argue with the Holy Spirit. Generosity is about multiplying what God has given us to help those in need. Flip to Matthew 6, verse 24 talking about the stronghold of greed, the love of money. It says, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God, I want you to underline that word, God, and what's that last word in the verse? Money. I want you to highlight and or underline that word. You cannot serve both God and money. Who you serve is your God. You want to know the most terrible God of them all? The dollar. 
Stop serving the supply and start serving the supplier. A lot of people, they are serving, worshiping the supply. Their God is their employer. They may even pray to their God in the name of God. God, I need money. God, I'm struggling. I need money. God, I I need money. What a shallow prayer. Every day people pray that prayer. They're serving and worshiping the supply. Based on what they have or what they don't have in their bank account. When their bank account's high, come on, they're dancing, they're joyful, they're happy, the bills are paid, they can go out to dinner, they can rent movies, they can buy clothes, they can go to football games. But when it goes down, they act a whole different way. Do you know Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, wants to give you a set level of joy that does not fluctuate based on What number is on your bank account? We need to serve God and use money. A lot of people are serving money and using God to get more money. If you can worship and serve the supplier... You will not lack. Come on, can I get an amen? You will not lack because you will see your life out of the abundance of who God is. You cannot serve both God and money. Look at that next point. When we serve God with our lives, with our generous spirit, with with our finances, generosity, this is what it does. It stores up treasure in heaven and creates an eternal investment. When we give and bless others in faith, think of it like this. You make an internal investment in others and in your own life. And you make an internal deposit into... Not your earthly checking account, but your heavenly bank account. What does your heavenly bank account look like today? I hope and pray it has a million zeros behind it. Every time you by faith help somebody, every time you by faith generously give, Every time you, by faith, bring in your tithe, you make an internal investment in your personal life, in the lives of others, and you make an internal deposit into your heavenly bank account. What does your heavenly bank account look like today? I hope and pray, like I said, as a million zeros. Or does your bank account just have one zero? What profit a man to gain the whole world, the Bible says, lose his soul? Heck, I don't know. Maybe you got three, $400,000 saved up. I don't know. On earth, you look like a rich man. 
Your earthly bank account says you got 400 grand. Why does your heavenly bank account say you in the negative? You at zero. Because at the end of the day, the only thing that matters is your eternity. And the amazing thing is, you can have both. Jesus died not so that you can have a miserable life. I'm not saying give away all your stuff. I'm saying be frugal and a good steward. Come on, somebody, of what God has given you. You can still have $400,000 in the bank and still have $400 billion, trillion, million in your heavenly bank account. You can have both. It just takes faith. And generosity. Say that word again with me. Generosity. We can't try and hold on to what we have. We have to see that what we have is because of him, and we have to freely give because he has freely gave. I want to prove to you. Look at, look at Matthew 6. We're staying in 6. We're going to go back a few verses, 19 and 21. Look what he says first before serving both God and money. He says, Do not lay yourselves for treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay your treasures for yourselves where? In heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, look at this, there your heart is. Where your treasure is, there your heart is. You can have every toy known to man. You can have the biggest mansion. You can have all the fancy cars. You can have all the clothes, all the shoes, all the hoodies. I love shoes. I love hoodies. I have a problem. First step one is admitting there's a problem, right? When Ian dies... My shoes will fall apart. They'll get donated to Goodwill. My hoodies will tear apart where moss will, will kill and destroy and rust will, will eat and decay. And At the end of the day, guys, we cannot build up our own lives in the sake and in the name of our own names. Because where your heart is, there your treasure is. If everything that you do and say is built on Jesus Christ, it has an eternal investment, an eternal value, and an eternal deposit that outlives our physical lives. And that right there is why Jesus came to save. He did not come just so that you could get yours, just so that you could get your fire insurance from hell. He came so that through you, what you experienced because of him, others would see and experience through a generous spirit. Look at that next point. Another thing generosity does. It releases the blessing of God upon our lives and enables us to experience the joy of giving. As I said, when we place our faith in other people, places, and things, I'm either happy or sad, based on according to how those people, places, and things are going or what they're saying. But generosity releases the blessing of God upon our lives and enables us to experience a real level of joy. The most amazing thing that can happen in your life is when you bless somebody else. When you help somebody else, there is an amazing joy that happens. When we do our outreaches in our community, when we buy the, the, the shoes and the backpacks before school, and we've done coats in the past, 
all sorts of outreaches we've done. This whole sanctuary would be filled up. The last time I think we had almost 200 people in here, people that came and needed school supplies and backpacks. And some of those folks, I spent spending two, three, four minutes just them saying how thankful they were. Not that I, but that we, that you, were a part of that blessing for them. That's real joy. As you become older, we're about to enter into Christmas season. Christmas no longer becomes about what you get, right? When I was a child, I, I spoke as a child, right? When I was a child, I loved gifts. Give me all the gifts. And as you mature and grow up, you, you realize the funnest. And if you're older, you understand this. You, you get a gift for somebody, and you know in your heart it's like the best gift, right? They're going to they're gonna love it so much. And you're just waiting with anticipation as they get ready to open that gift because it's going to give you so much joy that you got to give them and bless them that thing that they wanted. Let's spiritualize that. When you meet somebody's real need, that thing that is, is killing them, that is destroying them, when you meet that type of need, you want to talk about joy. They will weep. You will weep. They will rejoice. You will rejoice. When that spiritual need is met, Think of it like this. Blessing others is the best way to bless yourself. Now, we don't bless others so that I can get blessed. But I want you to see, the best way to bless yourself is to bless somebody else. Because when you bless somebody else, God, he does something in here. He tenderizes our hearts when we move in compassion, something real and amazing happens inside of us. We see it's this whole thing, this whole life, this whole eternal promise that I have because of Jesus is real. And when I move into that, I experience real joy. And all of us trying to get happy with a pill, get happy with a drink, get happy with the newest toy, get happy with a new car, get happy whatever, chasing fleeting happiness, fleeting joy that the world cannot give. The best way, the best thing you can do for yourself is to give to somebody else, is to bless somebody else. We have not, maybe because we sow not. We cannot reap a harvest of blessing if I have not first prepared done the work, said the prayers, tilled the ground, planted the seed. God calls us to, by faith, do the work. The increase is supernatural. He brings forth the harvest. Did you know that? But if we don't, by faith, do the work, there is no harvest if we haven't first sowed. Look at Luke 6, staying in Luke 6, excuse me, moving to Luke 6. And I love this verse, and, and we have a tendency to read through this and gloss this over for personal benefit, but it says, given it will be given unto you. And this is the part y'all know. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Those sound like good things? Man, those, those are, I call those good, good, good things. Pressed down, running over, shaking together. The blessing 
of God is yours, it says. But did you see what it says at the very beginning of that verse? Did y'all read over? What does it say? What's that first word in that verse? What is it? You better highlight that word for your personal benefit. You don't get the good good. The press down. The running over. The shaking together that you pray over yourself every day. God, give me the blessing today. Press down, running over, shaking together. Give me some of that good good, God. That's not yours if you haven't first given. You reap what you sow. You cannot receive what you yourself have not given. It says given, it will be given to you. Good, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, and be put into your bosom. Look what it says. For with the same, someone say same. Same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. This is for free. I want you to write this down. You get what you give. So if I lack, it's because I haven't sowed. So the level that you give by faith is what you receive. Let's just think of a good old farmer in Holly Pond. we got a lot of farms, a lot of fields. Think of that farmer that for three solid months, he is tilling, preparing his, his let's say he's got a 200 acres of field. He wants to grow some corn. He needs that corn for his farm and for his family. And so he puts in the work. He gives of himself every single day for three, four solid months with the expectation that in another five or six, seven months, what's going to happen? Something's going to sprout up. And we live our spiritual lives so tone deaf and we like the walking dead. I wonder why my bank account is broke. I wonder why I'm miserable. I wonder why I don't have. And it's because you're praying for God to supernaturally give you a blessing. And he can do that, okay? I'm not saying he can't. But if you've come to know the truth and you've come to know his word, and you have not, by faith, done what that farmer did spiritually, you have not put in the work, you have not sowed the seed, don't expect a harvest. I'm sorry if that's, if that's a harsh truth today, but that's the reality of God's word. I have what I gave. And if I, by faith, continue to do like what that farmer does, I get up, I worship Jesus, I give him everything in me, I bless him, I bless others. I bring my tithes in the storehouse. I'm a generous Christian. Then as you, by faith, sow, every day, I sow, I sow, I sow. You can keep living with that expectation that God's going to show up on your behalf. Amen. And bless you so that you can bless others. Look at that next point. You got to see this. We are never more like God. Now, we can't be God but we're striving to be Christians, literally means, Christian means to be Christ-like, right? We're trying to be more and more like Jesus every day. You are never more like God than when we give freely of ourselves. Every good thing we have comes from the generous hand of God. Now, I know we cannot outgive God. You can try. You can, you can try to outgive your awesome God. And you won't be able to. But you know what I think? We should still try. <laughs> that is the way you should live. 
God, I want to outgive you because you're so good. And when you live that way, when you live generously with no matter who, no matter what, you are never more of a reflection of Jesus Christ than when we live that way. You're not withholding. You're not setting conditions or standards or parameters to who you're going to bless, how you're going to bless. Did they give me a compliment today? Okay, then I'll give them a compliment. Did they say something mean about you? So then you're going to withhold from them. Freely giving means there is no condition on my generosity. Do you know you didn't deserve what God gave you? Was there a condition on God's freedom in your life? No. So we want to say in our minds, they don't deserve because they ain't living right. They don't deserve because they hurt me. That's not the reflection of Christ. I have because Jesus didn't put conditions on my life. I have because he loved me. And so if I can freely give to anyone, no matter what their life looks like, we reflect Christ. We don't become, we don't, that's the, one of the most amazing and powerful ways that we can reflect Christ and look more and more like God as we give. Look at 2 Corinthians 8, 9. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? Who's experienced the generous grace of him over your life? I know, I know, and hope and pray you are thankful, right? It says, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty you could be made rich. And if you are walking this life of faith out with your Savior, you understand that to be true. That you were a mess. And Jesus said, yes. He became poor, stripped naked, crucified, whipped, nailed to a cross so that you could be made rich. And this is the thing you gotta, you got to believe about what Jesus did for you. You have enough to give. You have enough to give. Jesus gave it all so that you can have enough. What did we just read? He became poor so that in his poverty you could be what? Rich. Spiritually rich, which translates eventually into tangibly rich. If you honor and bless God with your life and everything in it and your finances, you eventually will begin to have an... Uh, Rob, I feel like we use this a lot lately. The blessed life, right? The blessed life. It's not about having the blessed life, but if you live for Jesus, you'll eventually have the blessed life. You'll have the car. You'll have the house. You'll have the... The job, the, the, the fill in the blank. Because Jesus paid the price for you to have that, to enjoy your life so that you can bless others. Stop withholding generous grace just because you think they don't deserve it. Or maybe you don't think God deserves it. I didn't deserve it. You didn't deserve it. Your neighbor didn't deserve it. But Jesus gave it. Look at that last point. Generosity is a thoughtful, voluntarily, 
and cheerful act of loving obedience. Let's say that word together. Obedience to God. Obedience precedes blessing. Let's say that together. Obedience precedes blessings. Just as I illustrated with the the Holly Pond Farmer today. I don't know what his name is. Just call him the Holly Pond Farmer, I guess. His, His obedience to sowing preceded, came first, before his blessing manifested. Generosity, as we just read, is a thoughtful, voluntary, and cheerful act of loving obedience to God. I give because God said so. I freely give, I joyfully give, I don't begrudgingly give, and I do it in obedience. Look at the last scripture I want to leave you with today is 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. It says, remember this. Brought it all the way back to the farmer. We'll read it in actual scripture. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. The one who plants, what? Generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty, I want you to underline that word, plenty, left over to share with what? Others. God doesn't bless you for your personal gain. He gives us plenty so that others can have leftovers. How amazing. When Jesus blessed, when Jesus and the disciples blessed the, the, the five loaves and the three fish, it says they had leftovers after they fed all those people. 10,000 people, right? And they had leftovers. God blesses you with plenty so that others can experience the same blessing. And we don't, what we don't sow, what we don't plant, can't grow. And God gives us plenty so that we can sow and grow. It says, don't give because you feel pressured to give. If I stepped on some toes today, thank the Holy Spirit. The whole point was not to get you to give. That's between you and God. God doesn't want you to give because you feel pressured to give. He wants you to give because if you heard the Holy Spirit say it, He wants you to be obedient. And in the obedience, He wants us to be cheerful. If you're thankful that Jesus saved you, it's something you don't have to fake. It's not a smile you have to put on. You will cheerfully give because Jesus gave. Let's be that unified, cheerful, generosity-building church. Not give just because I say so or Pastor T says so. Let's give because I love God. If you love God, you have an abundance to give. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. Sorry I went a little long. Let's pray together as we close. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you and we thank you. I thank you for this message, this message of generosity. There's a generous spirit I believe you want us to move into, a generous spirit that you want to activate in the lives and the hearts 
of men and women here in the sanctuary and men and women within our church. So I pray you would supernaturally grow what has been sown. God, forgive us if we have not been sowing. God, forgive us if we're asking for a harvest that we have not planted. Obedience precedes blessing. God, let us move into a generous spirit, but let us also move into an obedient, cheerful spirit that sees our giving and our gift as something that we bring to your table, that we give back, that can be multiplied to benefit others. In Jesus' name. Last thing I want to do is, if you're born again, you're, you're in relationship with Jesus Christ on a daily basis, I want you to pray for the lost, please, right now. Pray for the lost world. But if you're either here in a sanctuary with us, or maybe you're joining us online, I know we talked about generosity today, but the most important fundamental key in your life is that Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Savior. So if you're here today and He is not that for you, I want to change that. God wants to transform your life by you inviting Him into your life. So if you say, Pastor Ian, I want to pray to accept Jesus Christ today. Maybe you've done that, you fell down, you need to get back up, you need a recommitment, you can do that too, one or the other. But if you want to pray to accept Jesus Christ I want you to just either lift your hand up really high or stand up, please. Right now, I'll give you a few moments. No one's looking at you. I promise. I see, I see the hand. Thank you for that hand. Thank you for that hand. God sees that hand. I mean, if you may put it back down now. If you're joining us online, put something in the chat to let us know. Amen. I want to pray over those that lifted their hand. Praise God. God's kingdom is growing. We're not perfect people. But we know the one that is, amen? No matter what you've done, Jesus Christ can, can, can clean you up, pick you up, and carry you out. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to pray over us. I'll repeat after me. It's going to go like this. Heavenly Father, God, we love you, and we believe in you. We now confess that Jesus Christ is my personal Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my past and send your Holy Spirit to redeem my future. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Awesome stuff. Well, we love you guys. I hope you enjoyed coming today. We're glad you came. Y'all are officially dismissed. All right, have a good, safe Sunday.